0: welcome to tomorrow I'm your host Joshua Zvolsky today on the podcast we discuss backlash the apocalypse trilogy and saga I don't want to waste one minute so let's get right into it I guess today is one of my favorite people uh, he's a great talker he's a great um, friend he's a great thinker he's a he's a wonderful um, he's wonderful to all of his pets and, uh, and he's a man that anybody should uh, feel lucky if they get to call him a friend. They, would, they should feel lucky. I don't know if they do. I certainly do. I'm, of course, talking about my good buddy, Michael Shane. Hi, Josh. Hi. The managing editor of Bloomberg Digital.
1: I'm very... Uh, I, I do love
0: animals. We used to spend a lot of time together, Michael.
1: We were... We've, we've been married, At, I the, think. Verge, at the Verge? In some states, we're considered at, legally married. At
0: Bloomberg? We are considered legally married still, and I expect... Some serious, um, a serious payout when you keel. Oh, it's coming! I'm looking forward to your death so I can collect. Yes, that's right. Just keep paying those life insurance premiums. <sighs> of course, I will. Anyhow, Michael, uh, I you know I always love talking to you because we can kind of talk about anything. Yeah. And uh, and there's a lot of there's a there's a, a wide variety of topics to discuss. Now, I want to say that this is a Memorial Day uh, podcast. People will be listening to this while they're cook, doing a cookout with their family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be with their friends and loved ones. They're going to be celebrating. Uh, Memorial Day, which, of course, as we all know, stands for uh, it is the day when our uh, what do we know what the meaning of Memorial Day is? Do you know? I'm let me give you a little, little uh, challenge here.
1: Memorial Day is the holiday where we honor veterans of the United States military. What's well, Veterans Day? Well, I think. Ve- oh, sh- so well, here's but-
0: the deal. Here's the deal. I don't really know what Memorial Day is for.
1: Well, I don't I want- look it up right now.
0: This is this is the thing
1: okay people who die it's people who die while serving in, in this
0: is this yes. is the holiday that the song uh that song was written for the you know the one that i'm talking about I, I don't you know it's the i'll proudly stand up song next to you and defender still today mm. it's about people dying during uh, wartime yeah. Anyhow, you think I should just know that off the top of my head? But for some reason, I just blanked completely on Memorial Day.
1: So the reality is, with Memorial Day, it is a little bit. I mean, people celebrate and they. It's cook a sad out, holiday, but it's supposed to be a somber day it's of. It's a somber.
0: It's, we, we should be we should be chill on Memorial Day. I mean, we should not be celebrating. This is a day to remember people who have given their lives defending uh, our country. I assume it's specifically our country.
1: It is a United States holiday.
0: Um, you That's don't. Correct. You're not celebrating now. If somebody else died defending their country, no party for them whatsoever do not well,
1: well they have their own memorial do days. not maybe
0: they do maybe they don't but i'm telling you as an american citizen do not celebrate them
1: right so um, M- memorial day is for people who died in service veterans day is for all veterans living dead past present
0: that's right yeah that's right and frankly i don't think we can have enough holidays for these people i, would I mean because well consider this situation you join the military in yeah. america yeah And then someone's like, then John, President Donald Trump is like, hey, why don't we go over to Syria and uh, crack some skulls? And you're like, okay, well, I'm in the military. And then you have to literally shoot people to death or blow them up or be killed yourself for because Donald Trump picked a fight in Syria. That's some fucked up shit. Okay. And these guys, these men and women uh, deserve a lot of credit for doing it. And frankly, listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but I'd prefer not to, you know.
1: Well, that's why America has is you know an all volunteer army, which that's is why pretty, we have.
0: Why we need nerds? You know who's going to who's who's going to work the switchboard? That's me. Call me up. You need somebody to get some, get some, uh, fix a, a CPU, you know, get, get, install some RAM. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have IT problems? I'm your guy. Do you want me to go get a gun and blow some people away? Probably not your guy.
1: You'd be like the Doogie Hauser character in uh, yeah. Starship yeah. Troopers, the Neil Patrick uh, That's Harris correct. Character.
0: I would, ha- I would be using, my, I would have some kind of telekinesis. Yeah. Or, not telekinesis. Uh, what is it when you can, when he you had can telepathy, telepathy, I'd have a, right. some form of telepathy. I'd wear really sick leather outfits, like big black leather jackets, sort yep. of Nazi ish, but not big, too Nazi trench coat. And I would, um, I would investigate why the bugs want to kill us. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I feel bad for the bugs in, 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 uh, Starship Troopers. I don't know if I'm the only person who feels this way, but at the end of the movie, when they're like, um, this bug is afraid of us, we can yeah. kill them. I'm like, fuck that. Well, the I bugs think, should take out humanity. These people suck.
1: I think that's what Verhoeven wanted. I think he wanted yeah. you to be more and more conflicted as the movie went on. I think Starship Troopers is one of the greatest movies of the 20th century. There's
0: no question. There's absolutely anybody is, who anybody who questions that statement- Is no friend of mine. Is, an, is not an American. Yeah. And uh, should not be allowed to celebrate Memorial Day. But also, there's no question that Starship Troopers is one of the great, all-time great films. Yeah. And, of course, one of Verhoeven's best.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a sophisticated satire. I mean, it it's is. not just a gore fest. It's not just you know action for action's sake. There's real, real thought and process in the in that movie.
0: There's no question in my mind that uh, there's so many lay- There are so many deep layers in Starship Troopers. Yeah, it's, it's works on it works on a tremendously visceral action film level. But then it totally works on this other, it is tremendous satire, but there's a lot of, a lot of real, uh, serious commentary about, mm-hmm. about the state of, 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 um, wars and, and, and politics and citizenship yep. and, uh, what it means to be, uh, what it means to be, um, a modern person trying right. to fight an army of bugs.
1: And part of the reason I think it's so disarming, right, is because yeah. it's science fiction, it's in space, there's spaceships and there's yeah. futuristic technologies and it's, it's you that. know, shiny and cool, but that just uh, gets you to lower your guard.
0: Right. And then when your guard is down, the bugs strike, and they get you, and they stick their thing through you, and you're like, oh, shit, this bug mm-hmm. got me, and then you wake up in a vat, and it's like, I guess I'm okay, but then it turns <laughs> out you have a robotic pelvis or something. I don't really know, but the point is, the point is the bugs were ruthless, the humans were r- r- ruthless, and at the end of it, we had to question what it uh, really means to be, right. uh, to be a citizen. At any rate, so I didn't, I didn't bring you on to talk... <laughs> <laughs> Starship Troopers, though God knows I could speak. At I will great talk about Starship
1: Troopers any week. Absolutely, I speak at
0: great length. Have we talked? We haven't talked since I wrote my big um, medium piece about the media. And uh I mean, we've talked a little bit, mm-hmm. but we haven't talked on in public. No, that's true. uh But I, I think you'll. I think I would hope that you were appreciative of the fact that the image I used for that piece was a still from the great John Carpenter film, Prince of Darkness.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. And in fact, and
0: in fact, I have to say it. it it's possible that 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 scene in the film was an inspiration for writing the story about the media, because there's a, if you haven't seen Prince of Darkness, I don't want to do a spoiler for you, but in all seriousness, <laughs> the movie's from like 1982, so if you haven't seen it now, or 1984, uh, at any rate, have you seen it?
1: Prince of Darkness?
0: If you say no, I'm going to go fucking ballistic.
1: I have not seen Are it. you
0: fucking kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm a how, busy can we, guy. how can we even have a
1: friendship? Look, I'll tell you what, as soon as even, this podcast how we even, is over... How
0: are we even relating to one another in this look, as, world? As
1: soon as we stop recording, I'm going to go grab Andrea, uh, we're going to no. cook up some dinner, no, you're and not. we're going to watch Prince of Darkness.
0: Andrea, let's just get this out in the open, okay? Michael Shane is engaged to be married to a beautiful, lovely woman who he doesn't deserve. Uh, and uh, and you're getting married soon, July 30th, right? Yes, that's correct. very exciting. We're we're making our plans. We're very mm. excited to celebrate. I'm so excited your to have you. I'm gonna be so blitz at your wedding. I'm gonna get so. It Better not be some kind of dry wedding or whatever, because I'm gonna go.
1: No, dude. Absolutely
0: it's, nuts on that the, open bar. It, it
1: is there for you to partake.
0: That open bar is gonna be destroyed. They're gonna be like, we're out of alcohol, and you're gonna say, what happened? And I'm gonna be like, <laughs> they're, I'm, gonna st- I'm gonna slide in there and be like, it was me. But you won't be able to. You won't understand what I'm saying because I'll be so drunk that the words will simply not sound like mm. any kind of language at any rate. So, <laughs> so now you're going to, you're going to, you and Andrea are going to watch Prince of Darkness.
1: I'm making that commitment to you, but okay. before my wedding, we I don't want to watch Prince of Darkness.
0: Have, what you really should do is watch the apocalypse trilogy, which is uh, the thing you, what you've seen. I of say. course. Yeah. And then Prince of Darkness okay. and um, in the mouth of madness, which is, which is one of John Carpenter's later. Well, not later, but it's done in 95. And it's a tremendous movie. If you haven't seen In the Mouth of Madness, I would watch Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness back to back if you really want to thrill.
1: Okay. I'll do
0: that. So, I mean, that's like four hours of your day, but whatever. You don't have anything else You to only do. live
1: once. And you so, only, yes, I read yeah. your medium piece yeah. uh, and I was sort of cheering and fist pumping silently internally.
0: I like, I like the idea of you sitting somewhere. I like the idea of you sitting in a crowded, in the crowded Bloomberg office, secretly, quietly fist pumping at your desk. Um, or maybe you are fist pumping loudly. I don't really know. Um, and I use the term desk loosely because as we all know, there's just one long desk with dividers. Yeah. Actually, I think they are separate desks. I don't know. Now that I think of it, I'm thinking in my mind's eye, I can't quite picture it.
1: Neither, neither can I, isn't that weird? (laughs)
0: That's very strange that neither one of us at any rate. Um, but
1: I think the point is you're saying something that, that everybody with, with half a brain is is thinking.
0: Yeah, what's weird is that it, most people weren't saying it.
1: I think maybe people are afraid to say it. Fuck I don't it, I, I don't you know. know. What I,
0: you know, I'm all about like I'm like the no fear sticker.
1: Right, remember that's no fear in the '90s?
0: Yeah, it was everywhere. Yeah, that's me, no fear. I'm you a no fear get away sticker. Put me on your windshield. Put me on your on your driver's side window.
1: Well, look, I, did you when did you read? um When the New York Times put out their one-year follow-up to the Innovation Report, did you Uh, did you read that?
0: um, Was that the was that the February memo about how they're going to reevaluate? Yeah, the memo where they're like, "We're." Oh wait, is that the? Oh no, it
1: was the one before that one. It was last year, I think.
0: No, Um, anyway, maybe maybe I did. Go find it. It I'm sure I did.
1: Um, But there was a lot of really stuff in there that I thought was really smart, and basically, it boils down to. If you're for big news organizations, I mean, I think the way forward is to, when you're looking at what products to make, where to invest your resources, you have to think about the audience, the segment within the audience you have that actually cares about you, that cares whether or not you live or die, that comes to you out of trust and out of loyalty, the audience that you've earned. And I think we're going to see more and more news and media organizations orienting their decisions, resourcing products all of it around the audience that that cares and that that signals that it cares, whether it's through their behavior or in the case of something with a paywall with their wallet. But either way, I mean, that's the audience that I think is going to sustain both newsrooms and advertisers, which are also necessary uh, for most newsrooms going forward. And that's why I agreed with pretty much everything you said and frankly i Thank haven't found you. one person yet who is willing to say they disagree with you no so. one
0: no one can say they disagree with it here's the nice thing because it's a hundred percent correct and i wrote it out of just uh, utter frustration at watching the industry act like complete assholes i mean people so many people in our industry are acting like they here's the thing, you know I, I actually shouldn't be so harsh the, look the reality is like we've known this forever somebody actually it's really funny somebody tweeted at me today and they were like um they tweeted a long form podcast that I did years ago.
1: I remember that. And,
0: okay. uh, and they're like, Oh, Josh Topolsky, you know, still has the same ideas about, you know, quality and clickbait that he did in, you know, when he founded the verge, it was like, I think maybe been a year after we started or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I don't know any other way to be like, I don't know. I mean, I can understand how you can make shit, but like, I don't want to do, who wants to do that? Who wants to build their life around that? I get it. Like, You know, the problem is like, it's like, should everybody be, should everybody be doing this? Like how much, how much content can the humanity possibly support? Like, I Mm -hmm. think there's a real question to ask there, which is like, can all the content make it? And I do think, you know, like there is a good, there is a good argument made that we, we can't make all the, we can't have all the content, right? There has to be some, some whittling down. of Well,
1: and, and I think for, for large news organizations, for me, you know, part of the solution to that is a future that involves a very heavy dose of personalization in terms of product features, what news is delivered where and when. Uh, you know, I, when at Bloomberg, my big mantra in the newsroom is right story, right format, uh, right platform, right uh, right time, right audience, yes. and you have to get all five right. Preach. And I think. I think you're going to find over time, especially in big newsrooms that produce a high volume of stories, uh, I don't know if we'll see the number of stories go down as long as uh, the the size of the newsroom is is about the same. But I think what you will see is that we're going to see numbers go down. Well, maybe. But I think the key is that 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 five point checklist I just enumerated, I think you're going to add sort of personalization, a sprinkle of personalization to all of it, uh, to make it all a lot more effective. Cause that's the only way to deliver an audience, the audience that says they care about you. If you put out 200, 300 stories a day, the only way to make sure that every single person who's part of the audience that is loyal and, and cares and is actively engaged, the only way, to, the only way to take care of those people at scale is really fantastic personalization across platforms well
0: i think that's probably true but i would also say that we have to we have to and this is kind of my underlying argument about all of it and by the way i just wanted to talk about the the fact that i used a still from prince of darkness but i will (laughs) i will talk about this more but my underlying um question to the industry and to me and to everybody, like to myself and to everybody else is like, what size should your business be? Because I think when you talk about scale, like we don't know, we actually are are very confused about this answer. Mm -hmm. Like we're not sure what appropriate scale for a business is in in media right we think because there is infinite audience or presume seemingly infinite infinite audience that we should be able to maybe we should be able to get that audience right i mean if you say there's three billion people on the internet like what's to stop me from assuming that every one of them could be my customer like there's no barrier to them being my customer all they have to do is like okay maybe if you're in china you can't get to my website or whatever <laughs> but like just basically you could make an argument right if i'm a news business you could say well we don't offer news about India yet, but maybe we should because there's a big audience in India. We don't offer news about China yet, but we should because there's a big Chinese audience, and on and on. And now, Bloomberg, of course, is a global business, so it's a little different. It's you know, Bloomberg is by its own, by its nature, a foundationally, a global business, right? But many businesses are not right. They're, that's
1: that's absolutely true.
0: Many businesses are like very localized, and then they're like, okay, wait a second, let's do. So my point is, but you know, you could also say, hey, there's 300 million people in America. How many are online? I don't know. Uh, At least half probably more more
1: than that yeah. i would hope
0: more than that at this point i should know this number off the top of my head but anyhow you might say every american is our customer but is every american your customer and i would say this if you really know what the fuck you're talking about your answer is definitely not and also like no way way less than everyone and like in fact a much smaller number than the one we probably have that's what i would say i would say is like what i would say is like the real audience is probably smaller than the number you think it is and and that's good if well, you look, know, if you know what to do with that audience,
1: I think the reality is, and this is something you and I've, I've probably talked about many times. It's really way too easy to say yes on the internet. Yes. And it's much harder to Let's say no. I just did it.
0: I just did it on the right. internet.
1: Boom. See? Uh, so
0: a it's lot hard. Of- it's hard to say no. And no one wants you to say no. Right. And it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it's like, well, maybe one more won't, won't hurt. You know, I'll just right. have one more piece of, you know, you get that, you know, when you get that bag of Hershey kisses. Yeah. I mean, you like know, for like Halloween or Valentine's Day or something, you get the big bag of Hershey Kisses mm. and Hershey Kisses are really small, you know, and you're like, oh, but, you know, I'm going to have like five and you're like, all right, whatever. And then you're like, shit, the bag is the bags just sitting here. And then you have diabetes. Half the bag is gone and you're <laughs> and you die. You drop dead from uh, several <clears throat> horrible ailments. But, you know, it's it is like that. It is like you don't kind of realize all you're saying yes to the to these yeah. things over and over again and before you know it you're like oh why did i eat it's like this mexican meal that i had just before i did i we did the podcast yeah we with the guacamole a guacamole burrito i had a guacamole burrito which is a really delicious i'm yeah. sure you can imagine what it is but at any rate i was like look i could i could have just had a few chips i didn't i had all the chips and now i'm paying <laughs> for it okay yeah this I mean, conversation like is pure torture for me
1: you have to be really rigorous <laughs> about what you say yes to and what you say no to. I agree. Uh, and in a business, the bigger Just the like business dating. gets, Just the more, like yeah, the more people wisely. you have, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of competing pressures. But ultimately, the reason it becomes difficult to say no to things is, is when you have, once you reach a certain number of people involved in a business, it is uh, inevitable that there will be different definitions of what success is operating at the same time and yeah. that's when things really start to get messed up and yeah. that's when you have disagreements over what you should say yes to and what you should say no to uh and so you have to sort of come together and hold hands at some point and really say this is who we are and this is what we're about uh it's hard
0: wow it was an abrupt end there yeah you got distracted by an email didn't you
1: no i didn't definitely didn't
0: just by to a tweet
1: Nope. Don't even have Twitter open. I'm so, uh, I'm so jacked do. into neither, this conversation. Do
0: I. am also jacked in. We are so um, pure. No, we're totally untainted by the, by the flow and flood of content on the internet. But I, I've been having this conversation a lot with people. I mean, I whatever. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's very boring at this point, but I do feel like it's not boring to me because I think the stakes are here. The stakes for me, we either go in the direction that we're going in as an industry and we keep making this commodity shit which everybody makes, almost everybody makes, I don't care what your business is. I don't care if it's like your high quality or local, you say, whatever you say, mm-hmm. you're making, most people are making commodity stuff. And by the way, sometimes you want to make like the cheap, easy stuff because it's fun to do and you you're into it and you've got something good to say. I totally understand that happens. Uh, and, but, but, you know, the reality is like, for me, the way I think of it is this is a philosophical um, issue. Mm-hmm. And my philosophical issue is if my job has to be making content for a uh, vague idea of an audience, and the content is increasingly um, not useful and not meaningful and, and insults the intelligence of its audience, then I don't want to be in that business.
1: Right? Well, look, maybe this is a just a word game, but... Maybe the, the job is not making content. Correct. The, jo- the job is who is your audience and what are what's your agreement with them? Are they coming to you because you've agreed that you will entertain them? Is it that you've agreed that you will inform them, that you'll edify them somehow? Right. And and that's the job is to of course is to, there's meet, nothing wrong with, is to there's meet that there's agreement.
0: There's nothing wrong with entertainment. And if no, that's, of course if that's not. what you do, then by all means. But right. but I think that, that we have this confused the situation that confuses entertainment and and actually nothing for something meaningful
1: well i would, I would passes I, it off i would edit I, let me edit you real fast i would say mm, we're in a situation where people are confusing scale with something meaningful
0: mm. i couldn't agree with you more i just finished my coffee and it was great mm. worth every penny that i paid for it it's um pete it was a k-cup oh nice yeah i'm not promoting pete i'm just saying it's a pretty good k-cup and have i ever told you how much i like my k-cup machine no. I'm, again, also not promoting uh, Keurig in any way. In fact, I think they're fairly despicable for creating a DRM version of K-Cups. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like but, the I, power. but a lot of people, you know, look, a lot of people are coffee snobs. And then, by the way, I like a good cup of coffee. I enjoy a tasty, um, uh, slowly made pour over. Ooh. Or whatever the hot new way to get coffee is. Yeah. But also, like, I'm just trying to get some fucking coffee in my mouth, okay? You know, I'm just trying to get caffeine- in my mouth, down my throat, and into my brain.
1: Let me let me tell you about a new kitchen appliance I have that I'm okay. very fond of.
0: By all means.
1: I got a Breville centrifugal juicer. It's one of Ooh. the juicers with a plunger, you know, and it's got the nope. spinning, spinning yes. thing Sounds, and it pulverizes yes, it. So you can take good. like a whole apple and drop it in.
0: That reminds me, I just thought of... You mentioning this because I know you got a lot. You said a wedding shower, didn't you?
1: Yeah, we did have a wedding shower.
0: I just remembered what I got you for your wedding.
1: Hold on, hold that thought. One, I don't want you to tell me. I am not going to to tell you. I wouldn't okay, tell good. you. So anyway, I've been making green juice. Check, mm-hmm. check out what's in this juice. Yeah. All right. We got a lot of celery. Yeah. A lot of kale.
0: Sure, of course.
1: A couple of cucumbers.
0: This is old news to me, man. You got I've a whole nice, nice s- some
1: lemon, some ginger, and some uh, some green yeah. apples.
0: You got to put something in there like an apple because otherwise it's undrinkable.
1: Exactly. Well, that's it what the, the ginger, the lemon, and the apple or, or, yeah. or Ugh, what make it drinkable. That's making my mouth
0: water right now. That's what I need right now is a green yeah. juice. To, well, come to, on over.
1: I got a whole pitcher of green I'm gonna, juice. I'm going to,
0: I'll be right there. I'm on my way right now to your house and I expect a very large, cold, glass of green oh, juice it'll be
1: ice cold ice cold what do you do you put ice in it well i keep a big ba- frozen I make, veggies well i make a lot and so then i can fill up like a pretty sizable pitcher and then i just keep the pitcher in the fridge and i i you know it's good for like 24 hours so listen i try to, to five it. i
0: gone crazy in your area yeah
1: it's you know it's brooklyn it's around the I wild love it. listen here. to the
0: sounds listen to the raw sounds mm. of new york anyhow what were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about content,
1: right? Because so, yeah, first so, we were talking about Prince of Darkness, and we
0: were talking about the Starship Troopers. It was all very good stuff. Anyhow, the point is, we need to talk about Peter Teal.
1: Okay, but, let's do
0: but, it. I, here's what I'm going to do. I think I want to take a break. All right, because uh, I think we've been going for like 20 minutes or something. That's correct. Easily,
1: you got. We have to monetize. You got to monetize this. Thing. I got to monetize this content. Okay, right. this
0: content not going to monetize
1: itself. <laughs> exactly.
0: So we're going to take a break and listen to a word from our sponsor. Which you'll the word you will you will hear the words from me. Mm. Okay, and then we're going to come back with more Michael Shane. Great. Tomorrow is brought to you by Videoblocks. Videoblocks is a subscription-based stock media company that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage, Everyone can afford. It's a great value with an unlimited download model that gives you access to 115,000 HD video clips, actually more than 115,000 clips, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and cinemagraphs. And on average, subscribers pay less than a dollar per download over the course of a year. You get the same content you would find on a more expensive stock site at a cheaper price. There's a great variety of time-lapse aerials, U.S. slash international locations, slow motion nature shots, which are, of course, my favorite uh, because I love nature. Uh, In fact, I'm infatuated with nature Uh, and more. They're also continuously adding new content so the library stays fresh and subscribers receive membership only access to the marketplace for even more clips uh, from their global contributor community. Everything is 100% royalty free. Uh, You've got unrestricted usage rights for personal or commercial projects and you can keep what you download and maintain usage rights forever. So get your subscription today for only 99 bucks at www.videoblocks.com slash x slash tomorrow which i know sounds complicated so i'm going to spell this out it's www.videoblocks that's v-i-d-e-o-b-l-o-c-k-s.com slash x slash tomorrow check it out Okay, we're back with Michael Shane. Michael, mm. uh, I said I want to talk about um, Peter Thiel. Thiel, man. I'm going to set this up. I'm going to set right. this up for real quick for the people who don't know. So uh, last week, Nick Denton did an interview with, um, uh, with the New York Times, and he said, look, I think a, a billionaire, a Silicon Valley billionaire has actually been bankrolling the Hulk Hogan trial as we all know, um, Gawker was found guilty in this Hulk Hogan trial. They were, uh, got this crazy, um, uh, Hulk Hogan was awarded a crazy amount of money, like $150 million or something. Yeah, I
1: believe it was 140,
0: 140. Right. And, um, and there were some unusual things about the case that sort of, I guess, led Denton to, to suspect that, that the person who was, um, the person who was backing Hogan's case, Hulk Hogan's case may, may, uh, be uh somebody that we didn't suspect mm-hmm. anyhow so it turns out that the person backing um these that that lawsuit and several others is the uh is a billionaire named peter Thiel. peter Thiel is uh amongst other things he's on the board of facebook he's one of the paypal founders or one of the very early investors in paypal uh and a handful of other um He's not a PayPal founder, is he?
1: Uh, this is information
0: he, you and I both should know, but neither one of us do. Once again,
1: I mean, he was part of the PayPal Mafia.
0: The PayPal Mafia. Right? That's correct. He's
1: also behind uh, Palantir, uh, but he's invested in Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Yammer, he Stripe. He, I'm sorry, he yep. co-founded PayPal. I was okay, right. right. So there you go.
0: Yeah. Anyhow, so um, he made a half million dollar investment in uh, Facebook in August 20 uh, sorry 2004. Um, anyhow, he's a very rich guy, and he basically so so I think his his the uh, issue with Gawker started many years ago when they wrote an article about him, essentially outing him. He's gay, correct? And they wrote this article, which is a really stupid article, that's uh, just like, hey, Peter Thiel's is really gay. And I think, look, I mean, Gawker's point, and, and I'm, I'm not going to defend their that story or many of the stories that that Thiel and other people take issue with, because I take issue with them. Their point was sort of like they were sort of poking fun at the idea that there's some sensitivity in Silicon Valley with um, that this other investors may not be 100 percent comfortable with gay investors, you know, which is I don't know if it's true or not. But that was sort of some of the some of the notions they were putting forward in this article.
1: I think the point is, in order to have a productive sort of sensible conversation about what's going on you almost have to abstract gawker out of it because gawker is such well, a polarizing Well you, do, you you
0: you can abstract gawker but it's important to say that the beginnings of Peter Thiel's anger stem from a, what appears to be an article that was like Outing him. Yes. Okay. In public, like just saying, hey, this guy's gay publicly. And right. maybe he wasn't ready to or didn't want to talk about it and felt like it was an invasion of privacy. And there were more articles about him and people that he considers friends. And look, Gonker has made some. Has done some really uh, uh, ugly reporting, right? There's no question. By the way, I'm so tired of talking about Gawker. I mean, they've been they've been in the news so much lately. But it's really important in our industry at a moment where you know we're talking about the future of the media industry. Yeah. And you look at these forces that are at work, and like, here's the deal. So, so Peter Thiel's well, totally within his legal rights to give money to people who are suing Gawker. To support them monetarily, okay. Correct. This is—it's
1: is, is, called litigation finance, and mm-hmm. it's actually a lot more common than most people realize.
0: Right, and it happens. By the way, it happens in lots of positive ways as well. There Correct. are a lot. There are a lot of uh, uh, the ACLU, for instance, funds helps to fund lawsuits that people yeah. bring. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot. A lot of situations where this is like, yeah, you want people doing this, and you, I certainly, <clears throat> I'm not arguing that this shouldn't be legal, right? Right. But what I, what I, what I would argue and what is scary and, and, and you can, by the way, you can feel this already is this idea that, um, if Peter Thiel doesn't like what you write about him, this is what he's saying. It's very clear. If Peter Thiel doesn't like what you write about him, he will find any avenue possible to ruin your business. And Peter Thiel has a lot more money than most media businesses. Okay. He's worth like 2.2 billion or 2.8 billion. Um, Oh, by the way, side note, P- Peter Thiel's also backing Donald Trump. OK, so so just really quickly, like just false. Let's stop here for a second. Let's 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 put aside Peter Thiel's um, his, his, you know, his grievances with Gawker and his le- the legal right that he has to sue through other people. Gawker, uh, I think if you're endorsing Donald Trump, there's something wrong with you. I do. I think that there's you're you're broken in some way, and I'm not going to pull any punches. Like I will say that, like I think people who are like Donald Trump would be a good president. There's something. There's something that either they don't see, which every which most I think rational people see, or there's something they don't understand, which means there's something wrong with them. I think Donald Trump is a really dangerous guy. I think he's he's a he's a shitty guy for starters but i think in the idea in the idea of him being president he's a dangerous guy and so i don't know why what peter thiel's reasoning is for backing donald trump um but that makes me very scared of what kind of person peter thiel is right it, it alarms me uh because donald trump's not a good guy he's like a horrible racist i mean literally there's just an article great article which everybody should read about the speech he gave in san diego where he spent an hour of his, sorry, part of his hour of his speech to a o- large audience, he spent 12 minutes talking about a judge in a case, a personal case against Donald Trump's uh, school, his bullshit school or whatever, Trump, Trump Institute or whatever it's called. He spent 12 minutes talking about this guy and he was like, He's like, well, we think he's a Mexican. That's fine. It's no big deal, but we think he's a Mexican. Oh, yes.
1: And he was the person guys, was guys born, born in Indiana, Indiana, born in Indiana,
0: born and raised in Indiana and, yeah. and went to school in Indiana, whatever. I mean, but just the, this, this is like dangerous talk. Right. So I think Donald Trump's a dangerous, shitty person. Right. And I well, think the so, people, I think people who endorse Donald Trump might be, I'm not entirely sure, but might be dangerous, shitty people as well.
1: So here's well, the only thing I'll add to that, because I think that was a pretty complete uh, statement there. That is was that, just a
0: detour just to talk a little bit about where Peter Thiel's coming from.
1: There was a. Um. One of the professors at the Naval War College, uh, this guy, his name is Tom Nichols. He's on Twitter uh, at Radio Free Tom. Uh, He's a professor at the Naval War College. So it's not a huge logical leap to assume that he is probably right of center. But he did a a, a pretty short tweet storm this past week where he basically reminded people uh, in clear like step by step terms that whoever is elected president, has control of thousands of nuclear weapons, weapons that could completely obliterate most of the planet in about 30 minutes.
0: Right. Yeah. And by the way, we, we, people don't remember that because it's been so long, even in the Bush era. Right. W, you know, George Bush sucked in many ways. But I never was like, oh, he might launch a nuclear attack on somebody for no reason. I mean, you get the impression at the very least he would be reined in by the people around right. him. So, Donald, you know, Trump Donald Trump doesn't even have people around him.
1: Right. And so obviously this, this professor, Tom Nichols, was saying, you know, I'm not comfortable with – Donald Trump is president. Uh, But the point is, it's something we should all remember before we go vote. We're not just voting for the person who's going to be appointing Supreme Court justices or the person who is ultimately held responsible for the economy, even though that's kind of BS, and we're not just voting for the person who... Tries to decide or influence whether taxes go up or down. We are voting for someone who can literally launch a nuclear strike. Yeah, he
0: could destroy. He could destroy the world. I mean, I don't think he will, but I, I think it's like it's, it's. He's shitty enough that I, I would be concerned about it. But hold on, this is just that's just the first thing I wanted to mention about Peter Thiel's character.
1: Right. Let's get back to the the Gawker. Well, situation. I want
0: to no. I want to get back to some other. I want to say some other things about Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel has voiced publicly that he feels that women's suffrage uh is is should not have occurred and that uh and that women shouldn't have the right to vote and that it upset the balance of democracy of a democratic society. That's awkward. So Peter Peter Thiel doesn't think women should have the right to vote. Um Peter Thiel is creating his in, is investing in seasteading, which is a plan to um build floating man made islands that are free from the laws of any country.
1: Right. International waters.
0: Yeah, so they can do Whatever it is they want to do, but uh, I assume something horrible. We've seen the island of Dr. Moreau, so you can just go ahead and imagine.
1: Look, um, what, I, what I've been thinking about this week is just that there are there's basically no situation in which revenge is a healthy impulse. And you just have to think about the, the level of revenge Teal has decided he wants to, you know— Exact upon Gawker, you know. It's what is this eight years in the making or something like that? Um, and so, regardless of what you think of Gawker, uh, it's a little. I think it's a little scary.
0: So the point is that this guy, uh, you probably don't agree with most. If you're listening to me and you like you like listening to me ever, which maybe not it will be the case for most people listening, but uh, you probably don't. You probably would not like Peter Thiel. You probably would not think he's a good guy with good ideas. But the important thing is that. Here's here's what I get to like. Here here's the deal. I understand it's legal. I understand he's mad, but I know in my gut, and I'm not just saying this. Like, listen, Gawker is literally the hardest fucking business to defend in the world. Like, they make British tabloids look classy. Okay right? Like they, they, they make the worst of the worst look pretty good, right? They've done some really heinous stuff. Like they wrote this story about the, this Conde Nast CFO. They like basically outed him and wrote the story about how he was having an affair and yeah. it was just really ugly stuff. And this is the thing that really kind of like was the, I feel like was a little bit of a nail in the coffin for Gawker's like credibility to a lot of people. But the the point is like, they're the hardest thing in the world to, to defend. And so understand that when I defend them, I'm coming at it from the perspective of a guy who's like, fuck these dudes. They, they're doing horrible shit. So, so, so the thing that the problem with Teal, sorry, and then I'll let you jump in. mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm.
0: There's, I don't have any, there's no legal. I can, we can all say, look, it's his first amendment and he's, you know, freedom of speech and all this stuff. And that goes both ways, but there's something wrong. I know it in my gut that there's something wrong that a person can do this. It's like giving, like, do I think that they have committed, a crime that should be punishable by death no I don't is this some do they do do they commit the equivalent of um, journalistic murder you know did they slander somebody uh, did they write lies that were were completely unfounded in an attempt to destroy a person's life no they didn't they didn't do that I mean most of the things and the vast majority of the things they've done, have been legal and by the way i think that when this if this hulk hogan case ever gets to the supreme court which it is increasingly likely that it will given the stakes in this uh and and just so you know and there's another side of this i want to talk about a little bit but i don't think this stands at the supreme court level i don't think hulk Hulk hogan's ruling stands okay well i think think most people i think you get that case out of florida and there's going to be a very different ruling you get it in front of a supreme court and they're going to look at it very differently
1: I think most it, people at the very least expect the judgment to be significantly reduced.
0: Oh yeah. But I think that the precedent that it sets is very difficult for the Supreme Court to look at. Right.
1: Well look, it's it's interesting that you use that word, precedent. Because that's for me, uh, and this and I'm not uh, sort of saying I'm I'm not taking a side on this, but the interesting thing is that even if you believe that like Teal's Motives really are like just revenge. Like there's no conspiracy because remember this is also a guy who's made significant contributions to um the committee to protect journalists, right? So he's saying I'm just going after Gawker. But the scary thing is what he's done is he's revealed a playbook that anyone of sufficient means of can use if they the, haven't already thought of the idea. So when the every, talking everyone, about precedents, it's a scary precedent to that say that every
0: the every that everyone. Uh, who feels like you know you you listen to these guys like chris sacca you know who's as as far as i can tell he's outspoken but he seems like a fairly reasonable guy and he's tweeting about he's like yeah i got burned in hell gawker and it's like i just don't think they understand the scope as it as as often is the case in silicon valley what is invested in and what is done from a technical or business standpoint is not seen through the eyes of an ethical standpoint, right? It's not looked at as an ethical question ever. It's looked at as a business or an investment uh, or, or a technology question. And I think there's a really similar, I think there's something that's really similar that's going on here where it's like step back for a minute and look at the long-term impact and the message that this sends. And you, you're telling me that the next time there's a story that somebody has about Peter Thiel that may be in the public interest for people to know, And may need to be written because Peter Thiel is a powerful man with a Mm -hmm. lot of money Mm -hmm. who can do a lot of things, both good and bad for the world. The next time that writer goes to write that story and takes it to their editor and their editor has to make a decision, you're going to fucking tell me that they're not thinking about their business being sued out of existence by an angry, sad, little billionaire who has to have his way, who doesn't like to be talked about badly in the press. You know, because that's the reality of the situation. You well, know, well, and if it's not Peter, a,
1: if it's not Teal, it could be anyone else. It could right? be Chris
0: Sacker. It could be a thousand other, or a, you know, ten thousand other uh, very rich people. And by the way, like again, it's not about the legality of it. It's about the precedent. It's also about like what Peter Teal hopes to accomplish, right? It's like des- destroying Gawker couldn't possibly be his sole goal, right? That couldn't be it. He wants the type of journalism that Gawker does to not exist. And you see other, by the way, other founders and other investors have tweeted about this or talked about it publicly. And they say, yeah, you know, these guys didn't play by the rules. They didn't do journalism the way we think, think they should do it. And it's like, well, it's not your decision how they do journalism. Well, right? this that, was,
1: did you read uh, what Ben Thompson over at Stratechery wrote about the whole t- situation? Uh I
0: think I did. It was a piece that he published what like Thursday. 4 days ago. Yeah,
1: Thursday. It's called Peter Thiel comic book hero. It's yeah. really it's it's very smart, it's very measured um but he he in a follow-up sort of post on Twitter, you know, he he said, uh, let me find this for you. The concern I have is the sense I get in the tech industry that the press is a bully to be fought against. Yeah. Wake up. Tech is dominant. The press is completely subservient. Uh, look at Teal slash Facebook versus Gawker with a business lens. If tech doesn't wake up to its own power, it runs the risk of doing stupid things that lead to regulation. And then he goes on because he obviously is uh, against most regulation and tech but the point is um I would also look at it from another point of view which is right now the dynamics around Silicon Valley look a lot like they have around Wall Street in the past and I think that Silicon Valley needs to be very careful that they don't end up on the wrong side sort of the of, on the wrong side of the American psyche you know what i mean
0: yeah i mean i mean this is ugly this is ugly stuff and i i mean gawker's ugly but but the, here's here's uh, Vinod Kosla uh, Responding to Kara Swisher about this case, Kara says, this is a tweet. In 2007, Peter Thiel told me media was dead. Now he's trying to kill one media company. And here's what Kosla says. This is of Kosla Ventures. Clickbait journalists need to be taught lessons. Far less ethics and more click chasing in press today. I'm for Thiel. Right? Teaching people lessons in this way is insane. I mean, that's the, to, to say that like, that's like saying like, we need to smash the windows of the stores to, you know, make sure they, you know, they f- get in line, right? Let's like kneecap mm-hmm. some people to make sure they get in line with what we want, how we want to be covered. So by the way, so I'll say this, Pierre Omidar who is the um, founder of First Look Media. I was just
1: going to bring him up.
0: Yeah. I just want to say, so Pierre Omidar who is uh, also a former um, PayPal, uh, he's, I don't know. He's. I guess he was an investor. I'm not sure how this works actually because he didn't work with with Teal. Uh, he says he's never met him actually, which is interesting. Um, anyhow, Pierre Omidyar who has more money than Peter Teal by orders right. of magnitude. Well, remember,
1: Omidyar founded uh, eBay, and then eBay bought. PayPal, oh, I'm sorry. That's right. right. That's
0: what happened. Yeah. Right. That's right. Um, <laughs> That's, I totally forgot he founded eBay. These, these monolithic companies, it's almost like they came out of... Yeah. It's like they've been there forever. Like PayPal and eBay are eBay just is, like so... Is,
1: eBay is my oldest active internet account. I've had an I, eBay account for like 16 years.
0: I mean, they're so naturally part of the internet now. I, it's like you kind of don't even... You're like, oh, yeah, right. eBay started at some point. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like eBay d- didn't exist and then it did. Yeah. Um, but anyhow... Um, uh, Omidyar is, uh, is financing, helping Gawker to finance their legal, um, battle against this, mm-hmm. which I think is amazing and awesome of him.
1: Yeah. But well, here's so, what,
0: here's, yeah. but here's the deal. I, here's Here's what I really think. Um, I, I see two, there's two really dark, um, things that happen, uh, as a, as a fallout to this. Right. And again, I want to stress anybody who's like, Oh, Gawker sucks. They deserve to die. Like I get it. But I don't think I think that they, I think they've done some really shitty stuff. I don't think they deserve to die. And I also think they've done some really important stuff. And you can say what you want. But the reality is, like, this is the press is, It can be ugly. It can be dirty. It cannot always look that nice. But uh, it is often the things that are most controversial and and most hard to stomach not always, but often mm-hmm. those are the things that change the conversation and change people's minds. And they're really important. And Gawker has done some really important journalism say what you will. They just broke a huge story about Facebook. Uh, uh, um, uh, Michael Nunez, who I had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and, and uh, Katie Drummond, who, you know, our old friend who's now the editor in chief of Gizmodo have been working on this story. They just broke all of this news about the trending news thing in Facebook and a huge important story, very much in the, in the same vein as this Teal story. So it's like, it's like, yeah, you know what? You can talk shit all you want about Gawker, but the reality is they've done, I think they've done more good than bad. But also the things that we don't, there's no, at this point, the reality is the Hulk Hogan verdict is the first time uh, that a meaningful verdict has been brought and won against them uh, in terms of the journalism they've done. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know that that verdict is going to hold up. Right. In, in a real test in a real court.
1: I'll be surprised if it does.
0: because nice. I think they had a lot working against them in this in this case. There was evidence that wasn't in in the, in the Florida case they had I think they had a jury that was uh, very unsympathetic in, in almost every way and didn't really understand the complexity I mean some of the questions the jury in this case were asking suggested that they didn't understand the complexity and the intricacies uh, intricacies of the of what journalism is mm-hmm. right They're asking if one of the female editors slept with Nick Denton you know, as a, as a question, as if it had any relevance to the case itself, right. You know, um, at any rate, here's the deal though. I think there's two really bad, um, uh, outcomes from this that, that happen in concurrently. And I think everybody should consider it. Uh, the first is that is that it has this chilling effect and that it, that, uh, forget about the phrase chilling effect is that the first is that it, it makes people think twice when they're doing real journalism, it makes them worried and scared and makes them, tr- uh, less likely to do important journalistic work uh, the second is that i think this creates this this um idea that ben thompson raises about bullying you know or that the press has to be fought to me my like gut reaction is like if peter thiel thinks that silencing gawker or anybody he doesn't like uh, who writes something about him that he doesn't like is the way to proceed, then I think we should, everybody should make it uh, a big part of their job to, to f- watch what Peter Thiel does, to cover what Peter Thiel does, to talk about and expose as much about Peter Thiel as is reasonable. But I think he becomes a bigger target in terms of uh, storytelling. I think he becomes, I think he should be more scrutinized because if, if, if he's holding himself to some, to the standard and saying like, this is where he draws the line, and I think we need to be really clear on like who's drawing the line. And so I worry that it becomes what happens is, and I'm not saying that people should do this, but I'm saying that what happens is you end up in this real battle between the billionaire class and, and journalists. And I think it can get very ugly for everybody.
1: Well, we'll just have to see. Uh, you know, what happens going forward.
0: I mean, Teal can fuck with Gawker, but he can't fuck with the New York Times and the LA Times and the New Yorker and all of the people who are going to defend uh, not Gawker themselves, but the idea that Gawker should deserves to exist. You know, you may not like Rupert Murdoch and many of his publications, but I would uh, fight to the death to say that he deserves to have those things, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's written some heinous shit. And by the way, Rupert Murdoch and his people who've worked for him have actually been convicted of, like, literally hacking into people's <laughs> email. You know, you want to talk about, like, crimes against the people they cover. I mean, Gawker didn't hack anybody's email. They didn't. They're not smearing people with lies. I mean, there's stories, as much as, as as much as it sucks to admit, like there is you can probably argue there's some news value to the fucking Hulk Hogan story. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue it. I wouldn't want to be in that position because I would never do that story.
1: Right, and anyhow, I mean, it's Gawker a dark. would certainly say that there's news value, and that's up for interpretation. But I it's think up for interpretation, again, but it's not you, so cut and dry. It's not so cut and dry that well, you can, what no, very few things are. But if you abstract Gawker out of the equation, I think the, the point is, it's uh, it sets a scary precedent, and it's sort of it, what remains to be seen, or whether is whether or not this opens up some kind of Pandora's box, right? Or right. If, if a line has been crossed uh, that can never be uncrossed so to speak and it's and to some right. extent uh it's completely up to peter teal so we'll, uh, the scary thing is that only time will tell just how pervasive this will be
0: right I mean, anyhow, it's very dark and it's very depressing. And it puts everybody in the uncomfortable position of having to defend Gawker, which nobody really wants to (laughs) do. Yeah, that's the
1: thing. Yes, exactly. Look,
0: I I know a lot of people at Gawker. I like a lot of people there. And I really do think they do some great shit. You know, if you look at Deadspin and Jezebel and Gizmodo, and there's plenty, you know, Gawker, there's Gawker itself. And then there's all these other sites, Lifehacker. I mean, io9, just like really good Kotaku. I mean, these are like, you know, say what you will, but they've all done at, at turns done really really good stuff
1: yes there's like, great stuff they, they, there.
0: they aren't they aren't where they're at by accident they built that over a long period of time where they were making stuff that no one else on the internet was making right. for a very long time you know as a person who competed hard with one of their properties i can tell you like yeah uh they earned their position by doing real journalism like you know you may not like it, but it, that they got there by doing, and not just, not just real journalism, but new journalism. And I think, I think it's easy to forget that, that they actually helped to pave the way for a lot of, I mean, look, let, let's put it this way. Uh, you know, without Gawker, there's no end gadget. Without n gadget. I, I never do this. The verge never happens. And Vox media probably doesn't exist. <laughs> Uh, but you know what I mean. Like honestly, if you look at the, all the threads of all of the Gawker people who've gone off and created amazing things, they have foundationally built a lot of wire cutter. I'm wire cutter, and the all and there's on and on and on. There's so many things. Yeah, uh, high and low, like big and small. Anyhow, the point is, you know, we don't need to have a funeral for a Gawker yet. But I'm just no. saying that I, th- I think this teal shit is is whack and and I think he's in the wrong. And I think that you say what you will about it, like it just feels wrong to me like it feels wrong. I know it may be legal, but what he's doing seems wrong and I hope that it stopped. I really do. I hope that he comes to his senses. What I'd really like is that is that Teal says, "You know what? I've brought you to your knees. You get the you get the picture. Let's move on."
1: That doesn't seem likely.
0: That doesn't seem likely, but but you know, it's like there's no positive end. It's not a victory if he wins. It just isn't. And, and and I'm sure at this point he must understand it.
1: Well, he's... Look, the guy didn't get where he is by being anything less than insanely intelligent, right? So...
0: Well, maybe. Well, I don't know. I'm sure he's very intelligent. I don't really know how it, intelligent it, it he is. It sets a scary precedent. I've met a, lot of, I've met a lot of very rich people who aren't that smart, though. I'll say that.
1: True. But, you know, he he has made... You know, he's created things. Um mm, Sure. But point is, <laughs> it that's a scary precedent and it, it's going to be it's not going to be a boring summer.
0: No, but, you know, hopefully it will be not too bloody of a summer. Here's all I want is I just want I don't want Donald Trump to be the president of the United States of America, mostly because it'll be embarrassing because I'll, I won't be able to talk to any of my friends <laughs> from other countries because they'll laugh at me and spit on me.
1: Alright, we have to find some. we have to end on a positive. We gotta note.
0: go up. We gotta go up from here because this is very dark. I yeah. was gonna we were gonna talk about Apple, but I don't think we should do that because that'll be that'll be also dark. <laughs> we talked about my Blackberry. Have I talked about my Blackberry with anybody? I talked a little bit about with, with Paul Miller. But you haven't listened to that episode yet. I haven't listened to that one yet. Speaking of Trump. <laughs> speaking of Trump, you should listen to that episode. Paul's a Trump man. Which uh, is, you know, not surprising. It's America. uh, It's
1: the great experiment. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Oh, it's an
0: experiment. It's an experiment. All right. Um, I do love this country, though. It is a great country. It's the country
1: that, that brought us Hamilton, the smash hit musical.
0: Yeah, it brought us a lot of cool stuff. America rules, you know? That's the thing I don't get. People are like, make America great again. And it's like, you know, I mean, not people, Donald Trump. I just feel like I don't think it's not great.
1: I think we are empirically better off than we have ever been
0: yeah except for Gawker,
1: they're having a stressful time. they're having a little
0: bit of a bad moment. um I don't know what what else is there to talk about you know i, I did want to talk a little bit about the um i thought uh um, i talked I talked to this about this a little bit with Paul, but I think it's a really interesting place to to explore, which is this idea uh about the future of interfaces and apple's sort of lack of leadership there. Uh, and I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about WWDC and if they're going to do something.
1: Now, do you say lack of leadership because they have, because, because Siri is obviously not the, not the most powerful, the best, uh, voice no, assistant out no, there. Actually, and-
0: let, I would back up from Siri for a second and I would say what's real, what really has become clear is The lack of of intuitiveness. Now, not any mobile device is perfect, but the lack of intuitiveness in Apple's interfaces at every level is pretty striking. Now, do you feel
1: like it? Earlier versions of iOS were better. Is that what you're saying?
0: I think that we had less. I think that our needs were less sophisticated in earlier versions. I think that as as services, as social networks and connected services have expanded. As we have lived more and more of our lives online and we've had more and more of our lives brought into the mobile devices in our pockets i don't think that apple has done a great job of keeping pace with that with the experience of the modern consumer and i would say like a great example is i mean apple music is a place to start right As a, mm-hmm. as an as an example of a place where it doesn't seem to keep pace with the with the use cases and the natural behavior of a modern consumer, but all across their mobile operating but that, but systems. But you're saying specifically
1: and that you're talking, these are critiques of the interface.
0: Well, it's interface. It's not just interface. It's services. It's interface. But think about this. Interface is increasingly influenced by um, by predictiveness, right? There are, like, like, my Android phone is much better at making assumptions about what I want to do.
1: How right? so? How so?
0: Okay. Here's a good example. Yeah. Hit me. Um, when you share uh, something in Chrome for Android, you get a share sheet, right? Mm-hmm. First time you share, you get a share sheet, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The next time you share, it gives you the thing that you, it gives you an automatic, uh, shows you the icon of the last thing you shared. with.
1: Mm, so you can skip a step if you want.
0: Right? So over time, yeah. What you find is like, well, I'm usually sharing to, I'm usually pocketing a story. So Pockets always there. So I can skip a step, right? Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting, very minor piece of the interface that learns something right. about it. Whereas me, okay? on iOS,
1: you have to set the order, of the, sheet set the order of the share sheets. You have to set the order of the share sheets. By
0: the way, there are there are different share sheets. For some reason, there are apps where the share sheet is one way and, and apps where the share sheet is another way, which I don't fully understand. Have you ever seen this? I have noticed that where you have a share sheet in one app and it's all set up and then you go open a share sheet, in another app and it's not set up, mm-hmm. but just like, yeah, I mean, even the understanding of what applications do. Okay. A really good example is, um, sending an image to hangouts or G chat as people like to call it from iOS. So I'm in my photos app in iOS. I want to, put, I want to give, send Laura a picture of Zelda, right? We talk in G chat all day long, Mm -hmm. right? So now first off, so first off, let's just say that Apple's user interface doesn't, it never assumes that I want to use anything other than their first party. Like it really doesn't want me to use their, it still doesn't really want you to use any third party stuff, right? Whereas Google basically doesn't care. I mean, Google basically does not give a shit. Uh, and but but so let's just say for a second, that that's one little thing that always comes up over and over again, which is like it wants to open Safari. It wants to open Apple Maps. It wants to open Apple Mail. It does not want to open third party uh, uh, interfaces mm-hmm. or third party uh, applications. But so so the hangout. So I'm sharing a picture. I'm in photos. I go. I click on the button from the share sheet. The share sheet gives me essentially a post to dialogue that pops up okay mm-hmm. it doesn't give me a native place to to put an image in it doesn't give me like the chat with laura it gives me this thing that essentially looks like a twitter share right because apple at right. that level sort of perceives all of these at the, at, a, at a very binary in a very binary way right and so and so when it comes to saving files or opening files it's all the same thing you're like trying to open a file is still like you still have to do some kind of math in your head you got to go like all right how am i how do i do this right, l- right? let
1: me ask you something though cuz you know we're talking about thing you know some pretty i don't want to say complicated but they're not day one user interactions let's oh, say oh
0: are are they really they're not
1: well let's put, let me let me really you're
0: telling me you're telling me that a billion people use Facebook and it's not a, it's not a typical interaction ability. You know, how many people have 500 million use Instagram? How many people use WhatsApp? A billion people, 900 million. I'm thinking of getting,
1: finally getting Instagram, by the way. Um, anyway, but let me, let me ask you this. If you were to hand in a stock out of the box, iPhone. Yeah. And a stock, uh, out of the box Android device, C- clean Google Android, not crappy Android. i mean, uh, uh, to be honest,
0: to be really honest with you, it's all basically the same. Now there's very few differences between stock Android and like whatever mm-hmm. Samsung does.
1: See, it does get better. So but let's say you, you hand both devices to someone who is a total novice, uh, no predisposition to either one. Do you think that Android to that user is more intuitive? Because I'll tell you what I think, and then you say my point of view is that at the very beginning of that relationship, iOS is much more intuitive.
0: Yeah, but that's fine. We're post. We're post onboarding, right? And
1: I look. I think post onboarding. I, I, I don't
0: care about the. I don't care about the first use.
1: Right, but but I think I care it's about, an important I distinction. The, I care
0: about the hundredth use. Well, see, it's an important distinction. If you frame, if you, it actually frames my argument about Apple really well, which is like. They're very concerned with that first user, the simplicity of this first user experience, which Mm -hmm. is fine. Mm -hmm. If you're all in there, if you're just doing all of the stuff that they want you to do and you don't have any further, you really don't have any further needs. But this speaks to, but this goes into like the, yeah, you know, it's more complicated to opt somebody into Google now, but it's also more useful when it's like, hey, you're on your way to work and there's going to be traffic on the route you normally take. And it tells you that before you ask. Right? Yeah. So I have to opt into Google now and I have to understand what it is and it's not that simple. It's like kind of more complicated. But you know, we're used to using computers which are very complicated. Simplicity is not, to me, simplicity is not the solution to a problem. Simplicity is how you solve a problem, but it's mm-hmm. not the solution to a problem. Wait, right? wait,
1: what's the difference between those two things? Because I agree with you, but I, I I feel like we need to tease this out a little bit
0: Simplicity more. can be the way that you solve a problem, mm-hmm. but it isn't the... The solution.
1: So yeah, simplicity is like, the process. Like, like well, what
0: I'm saying is that's right. Yeah. So like you can say, oh, we made we simplified it, yeah. and that solved the problem yeah. because we okay. went from six steps to three or whatever. But the the solution isn't like make it more simple. Right. It's not always that's not always the answer. And that's right. not always the f- way that fixes your issue. Right. And so like simplicity can be a tool, but it shouldn't be the end game for everything. And I think that but it's it's beyond that. It's like so this gets into that connected services thing. And this mm-hmm. is really nerdy. But, that's, this is know, good
1: because this is where I where I was sensing that this would go because well, I think.
0: Right. Because because, OK, yeah, just, I'm saying that was a foundational like how do people use these things as we've grown into a more complex and. Uh, uh, in complex relationship with our technology and our applications, right? So then, then it be, all starts to become about like, well, I'm over here, I'm doing this, I'm over here, I'm doing that, I get Ubers, I get, you know, I'm taking trains, I'm, all these different things that are happening in your life, they're all sort of digitally connected. I'm talking to friends on Facebook, I'm talking to friends on WhatsApp. I'm, mm-hmm. Everything know, I'm doing, everything I'm is doing, a service. I'm doing searches, I'm saving files. Now, where are my files? Okay, they're no longer on my computer, they're in the cloud because they're, and they're part of a service Mm -hmm. I'm using Dropbox Mm -hmm. or I'm using iCloud or I'm using Google drive or whatever. In my case, I'm using all three, uh, because you know, nobody's created a really, truly integrated, you know, virtual file system that works across devices. Google drive probably gets closest. It seems like the most natural of those.
1: I do want to say though, I've been using an iPad pro for work for over a month now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Bloomberg is a little bit of a special case because so much of the work happens in the terminal.
0: So you're using an iPad Pro, yeah,
1: okay. uh, with a keyboard cover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's been for me at work, it's been great.
0: I've been thinking about getting the smaller iPad Pro with the keyboard cover. I actually was typing on it the other day and I was like, "This is pretty good."
1: I mean, like, look, honestly, for me, I, it, the only time I but really what do, you do with that big, you have the big one. I have the big one because that's because I mean, that's what nothing, I ordered. use nothing on the display. Well, I mean. I love being able to have Trello in one side and Twitter in the other, the terminal on one side and and my yeah, calendar but if you could dock. You, know, if you
0: could dock three apps. Maybe you'd be in business. That screen right. is gigantic.
1: It's pretty big, but it's good. I do want to try the smaller one. Um, but look, I've I'm uh, you know I'm planning our honeymoon and I've got a big spreadsheet going. I've been working on it mostly on that. I mean, really. Let me
0: ask you a question. Yeah. I should know the answer to this, but you're in the browser. Yeah. You have the browser open and then you have Twitter open on the side. Yeah. Can you drag an image? from the out of the browser and drop it into Twitter and tweet the image.
1: No. You See to, this is what I'm fucking
0: talking about.
1: Okay? Yeah, but Android no, no. can't do that either.
0: Uh, I think it can. I don't think so. Actually, I'm trying to think of what uses I'm trying to think of a dev- if I have a device that uses split screen that I could do it. And I don't use any I don't use an Android tablet cuz yeah. those are basically.
1: But that's a great use case that every time I But by the way, why it, does an Apple why does
0: an Apple make that possible?
1: Well, maybe they will. Maybe they're listening right now. WWC that, is right around I, the corner. I hope
0: I hope they are, but this is what I'm talking about is is okay you gave people this ability but like naturally the first thing i think is like i'm looking at like you know i'm looking at something i see like a great gif and then i want to tweet it what do i have to do i have to copy i have to copy the image and paste it
1: that workflow sucks on every mobile device
0: right and for
1: you know heavy heavy twitter users like you and me that's a real problem
0: yeah, for heavy users. But, but
1: I'm loving the iPad Pro. Honestly, the only thing is uh, yeah, I just wish I had better handwriting and I could actually draw, because then it'd be even more interesting. Do you have the pen You get the whole setup? I do have the pen, because they just ordered complete sets for work. Uh, and I have not I have no use for the pen, so I'm just put keeping it in the box and not messing with it. But I've really enjoyed using it for work, to be honest. And and the only thing I really... I mean, I'll
0: be honest with you, though. Can I just be straight up with you for a second? Yeah, be straight. If I'm in... If I'm in, and I want to compare these two things. If I'm in my browser on Android mm-hmm. and I long press on an image, mm-hmm. I can share the image directly from the image and it shares it right into Twitter. Like mm-hmm. it's one, it's like one click basically.
1: Right. Whereas on the, on iOS, you only get save image and copy, right? I'm going to
0: see. I actually want to see, I guess you can copy and then it's another step. Let's just as, it and this is not a good use of anybody's time, but I'm going to mm-hmm. do it just for the hell of it. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Same image. I'm on Giphy, by the way. Great website. Mm. Everybody should check it out. You can search, you can save the image. Oh, my image in new tab. Okay. That's in, let me try it in Safari. This is good. I think this is a great experience for people who are listening to this podcast right yeah. now. Yeah.
1: Well, that's what we provide.
0: I hope they're enjoying this as much as I'm enjoying it. All right. Here we go. Let me check it out from Safari. Oh, oh, boy. 3D Touch, yeah. Save image and copy that. Even fewer options. 3D Touch lets me see the image. That's <laughs> so stupid. That would a terrible, terrible idea for an interface. Um, now, one thing I haven't tried. What's the last yet? time you used 3D Touch?
1: I don't. I have a, I don't have the. I only have a iPhone uh, six six plus.
0: Ugh, that's disgusting.
1: Um, so one thing I haven't really done much of yet is photo editing on the iPad Pro. Um, cause that's like, honestly, I have an iMac at home and that's the main thing I use it for because it's not in a, it's like off in a closet office space. So it's away from the rest of the apartment. So I don't use it that much these days unless I'm doing, like a photo project. Right. So that's one thing that maybe I could use the pen, the pen, the pencil for is uh, photo editing on the iPad pro. But you know, then I, I got to get dongles and it's a whole to do. I don't know. It's, I'm getting too old for it's this. It's
0: making me very, very upset. Just hearing about it. Dongles. Can I, t- can I tell you? Dongles. A- anyhow. Uh, so we should wrap But And yeah. what I'm saying is, I guess what I'm saying is uh, Marco Arment wrote this thing and i don't really usually agree with most of the things he writes but uh this one i thought was smart it was just like what if apple's wrong about this and they haven't really been spending time and energy getting this right but i really do think um the issue is uh all this stuff has to work together and has to work together fluidly and what bots are trying to solve and what ai is trying to solve and what at least it should be trying to solve is not like some crazy new A level of interaction that we've never experienced before, but a more fluid interaction and a more predictive interaction with the machines that we have to use every day. Well, look, if
1: if anything, now is the time for companies to figure it out, because I think this is something you'll agree with, which is that. We're in between hardware moments, right? We've talked about this before. And so I think we're in the middle of a period right now where there's going to be a lot of time for all companies to focus on software and services in, as far as smartphones and mobile devices are concerned. Because I don't think we're going to see any huge leaps forward. We're not going to see any paradigm shifts in mobile hardware for quite a while. And I think right. it's all software and services now, and every company is going to have to focus on that and figure out how to do it really, really, really well because that's right. that's the differentiator.
0: Right. Right. I agree.
1: And Starship Troopers is the bomb.
0: When can I watch this uh, Superman Batman movie uh, on via streaming?
1: Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen it either.
0: That's the most important thing for me to answer.
1: <laughs> and I'm not going to
0: see this new X Men movie because it looks absurd. And just is, I'm so over it. I watched Deadpool. It was fine.
1: I, I rented it. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it was worth fine, the fine. six dollars. It's, it's.
0: It's. I actually bought it because I was like, you know, I just want to watch something I haven't, seen, you know, something new. Mm. I haven't seen. I don't care. These all these superhero movies are so ridiculous. It's almost it's like, like we've
1: a, had too much of a good thing.
0: Yeah, it's. I feel like it's just like too much content on the superhero front at this point.
1: I mean, when I was yeah. growing up. My friends and I were, would talk about, oh my God! If they made a live action X Men movie, that would be a dream come true, and it could be amazing. And now it's all happened, but I think we may be uh, overdosing a little bit. I mean, trip
0: on this shit just for a second, okay? All right. When was when was the last Batman movie made? When was the Dark Knight Rises made?
1: Stand by, I'm googling the Dark. Uh, I
0: think it's like I want to say 2011. Survey says 2012. Okay, 2012. Okay, it's four years later. Now it's a brand new Batman. New franchise, whole new, th- I mean, whole new th- deal. Like, what's wrong with us? Like, like this is so crazy to so me. So much. We just did, we just did like a decade of Batman movies. And they're like, they can't keep that Batman universe going. They can't, it's unsustainable. So they're like, let's make a new, this is the same thing with like Spider-Man. We're getting our third Spider-Man in like less than fifteen years or something.
1: So it was uh, Toby Maguire, right? Yeah, it was, and then uh, Andrew Garfield right, did so- two of them, Social Network guy. Yeah, uh, and, and now and now
0: it's whoever the new kid is and from the from the uh, Captain America movie.
1: Look, I tell you what. Why, why don't we end this podcast? <laughs> I, know episode I, sound, and- I know I
0: sound old, but what I really am trying to say is like, revenge is a dish best served cold. Now, <laughs> what I'm really trying to say is. <laughs> is revenge, revenge
1: is a dish best served through litigation finance.
0: Yeah. Seriously. What I'm trying to say is less is more. Sometimes less is
1: less actually
0: is more, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, look, I tell you what,
0: or, or more is more and just give me a fucking TV series. That's decent about any of these major characters. I want to see a, I want to see a Superman. No, nah, I'm not really interested in Superman. Mm-hmm. Actually, all these people bore the shit out of me at this point.
1: Well, you know, I, I, you, know, you know what? You
0: know, I want to see a movie of what Saga. Have you read Saga? No, Brian K. Vaughn, mm. fucking amazing series. It,
1: it's interesting that you mention how they're all boring you uh, because I just insta-papered a story a couple of, within the past couple of days basically talking about how all the characters in the Marvel Universe, the X-Men, Avengers, all these People that with every movie, all the characters become more alike instead of more distinct.
0: There's nothing, there's just nothing left for these guys to do.
1: But hold on. We were supposed to end the podcast with something uplifting and I have oh. something.
0: Oh, you got something? You know, okay. I like to
1: end the podcast with recommendations. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm planning our honeymoon.
0: I keep hearing about this. We're going
1: to Japan. Ugh, and so I love Japan. And so do I. So I have reread very recently the William Gibson essay from 15 years ago called My Own Private Tokyo that ran and wired. Oh, uh, I haven't.
0: I don't think I've read that.
1: It's amazing. Google it. It's on the wow. internet.
0: Are you gonna get a Buzz Rixon jack jacket while you're there? Uh,
1: they're a little pricey. I did go. Is it
0: Buzz Rickson? That's what it's it good. is. It is Buzz Rickson, Yeah. Last time yeah. I
1: was in Tokyo, which was a very quick trip though, I did go to the Buzz Rickson store, and speaking it of, is amazing. It's so beautiful. Of,
0: of William Gibson.
1: Yeah.
0: He just uh, wrote a comic book.
1: He did. Um,
0: called Archangel. Yes. Which I'm definitely interested in. But I haven't read his last two books, so I feel like a bad. I feel like right. a bad fan. I
1: need to. I've had the peripheral sitting. on, yeah, a, I, on a desk I started, for a while.
0: I started reading. Maybe that's the only one I haven't read. I started reading it, but I didn't. I didn't. I couldn't. Um, I haven't read anything. You know recently. what?
1: You know what else has been recommended to me recently? And this What's is a, a Thomas Houston recommendation: Seven What's that? Eves by Neil Stevenson.
0: Oh, People have been yeah. raving about this. I, I almost bought it. I want to. I want to read that. I well, really now recommend is s- a good
1: time because it just came out in paperback. It's like eleven dollars on. Amazon. Can I
0: recommend Saga to you?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. It is. I'm it is the. It, right
0: it is the most original and interesting, and thoughtful and weird comic book I've read in oh, cool. forever.
1: So what's the? Give me the the two sentence version of what it's about.
0: I mean. I, there is no two-sentence version. It's it takes place in a world that is unlike ours, but very similar to ours. And there are there is a war, very large, uh, universal war, kind of happening uh, across many planets and amongst many uh, different races mm. and species and um it's a love story it's a philosophically um challenging story it's an intellectually challenging story uh it's a it's a it has a lot to say about war uh and 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 countries and nations that are constantly at war
1: you've sold me i'm gonna check it out
0: it's really crazy it's good and also there's uh there's a lot of sex in it too now is it
1: uh is the series (laughs) is it uh, finished or is he still? You know, writing?
0: I, I I think it's still going. I'm I I need to catch up. Actually, I, I'm right. at like I I'm in like the tw- issue twenty ish. There's a couple of collections. You can buy some collections of like the yeah, first. Yeah, I see that. Of the, of the first Yeah I mean there's I would been, just read
1: Yeah there's been 36 issues so far like Okay so.
0: oh so I'm way behind I should really catch up And right, well, I, bought I bought some digitally I bought some I mean I think reading it in hand Is the best way to do it Yeah but.
1: Okay so there's There's the recommendation Saga and My Own Private Tokyo The essay by William Gibson
0: Alright I'm gonna look at the, I'm gonna look into both of those Well I've read Saga But I'm gonna look into My Own Private Tokyo Alright This is a good way to end it Michael oh, this has been great As always You're a, a, a great man to talk to You bring out the best And pro- possibly the worst In me as well Well that's um, what That's
1: what makes for a, a happy healthy relationship That's
0: so great That's wonderful Well thank you for coming On again And you've got to do it again And you will do it again Of course because, Anytime uh, Because we made that bet And you lost And now you're on the big <laughs> time For life This is great Thank you No thank you Bye Bye Well that is our show For this week We'll be back next week With more And as always I wish you and your family The very best but unfortunately Your family Is now embroiled In a long Complicated disturbing war with an alien race that they can't possibly understand.